In the last episode, Tom Hargrove shared that politics plays a big part in making sure that our law enforcement agencies are supplied with the resources they need to close cases and reduce crime, making our neighborhoods safer. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, pause this one and go catch up now. One of the political figures in Cleveland that's remained an advocate in demanding justice for the murders of Jamila, Jasmine, Christine, and Ashley has been Zach Reed. At the time of their murders, he was the city councilman of that ward. He served as councilman for a total of 16 years and is currently running for mayor. I sat down with him to talk about their murders, the ongoing crime in Cleveland, and how he plans to address that challenge if he becomes Cleveland's next mayor. First of all, I want to say thank you, Chrissy, for allowing me this opportunity to speak to you about a very important issue, safety in the city of Cleveland. My name is Zach Reed. I grew up in the Mount Pleasant community. Started my political career at John F. Kennedy, the greatest high school in the history of high schools. John F. Kennedy, where I was elected president of my school. Then I went on to college in San Francisco, California. I came back to Cleveland, Ohio after college. I worked for the governor of the state of Ohio for 11 years with the Ohio Civilian Conservation Corps. My job there was to hire young people between the ages of 18 to 24 to work on conservation and beautification projects throughout the state of Ohio. We got a grant thanks to former Congressman Louis Stokes to take young people between the ages of 18 to 24 out of the public housing developments in the city of Cleveland, put them in the Conservation Corps for six months, train them, the whole lights, job readiness, and then we would put them into local unions throughout the Cleveland area. We were very successful here in Cleveland. City of San Francisco, they obtained the same grant. So I and others were asked to come to San Francisco to help rebuild the San Francisco Housing Authority. At that particular time, it was considered one of the worst housing authorities in the entire nation. So I went out there thinking I was going to be out there for six months. I ended up being out there for four years from 1996 to 2000. But we were very successful. Uh, We went from one of the worst housing authorities in the nation that in one year to one of the most improved housing authorities in the entire nation. Came back to Cleveland in 2000. I was appointed to city council in 2001. I won my election in 2001. Have the distinction of being the only African American male to ever be a Stokes in the history of the city of Cleveland. I ran against Congressman Louis Stokes' nephew and the first African American mayor of a major metropolitan city, Carl B. Stokes' son, Cordell Stokes. We've gone on to be good friends and we talk uh, regularly about politics and things that happen in the city of Cleveland. I spent 17 years as a Cleveland City Council person on the southeast side of the city of Cleveland. I represented the Mount Pleasant community, the Union Miles community, and Mill Creek Slavic Village Committee community for 17 years. And then I left after I ran for mayor in the city of Cleveland in 2017. Came up a little short, got 41% of the vote, 25,000 votes. Then left city council. Just finished a three-year stint with the Ohio Secretary of State's office, Mr. Frank LaRose. I was his minority affairs coordinator. I traveled throughout the state of Ohio on his behalf, speaking to minority businesses, organizations, and individuals 
about ways that we could help them either start a business, maintain their business, or grow their business. So I traveled from Cleveland to Toledo to Youngstown to Columbus to Cincinnati to Dayton, Akron across the state of Ohio, speaking to minority businesses, individuals, and organizations about ways that we could help them. And then on March the 12th, I decided to leave Secretary's office to run for the mayor of the city of Cleveland. So I'm a candidate for the mayor of the city of Cleveland. There are 17 elected Cleveland City Council members representing the 17 wards of the city of Cleveland. Each ward has approximately 25,000 residents. Council members are elected to serve a four-year term. It's an important role in our communities, but not everyone understands what that role actually is, so I asked Zach to explain it. Well, to make it simplistic, it's, it's, you can call it a mini there. As a matter of fact, in Cleveland, they do call it a mini-mayor because unlike other cities, we literally have a budget of our own. So every year we get block grant from the federal government and the city gets that block grant funding. And and a portion of that block grant funding is divided among the 17 members of Cleveland City Council to be able to help and assist the people in your ward, in your community, in the neighborhood to help either businesses, residents, organizations to help you be able to improve the quality of life for the people who live, work, and play in the city of Cleveland. It's pretty much a liaison between the wards and city hall. As you call me an advocate, you're an advocate for the people in your community, whether it's a religious group, whether it's a nonprofit group, whether it's a resident in the community, you're a voice for the people in the ward that you represent. In my case, I took it a lot further than just my war. Uh, talking to a lady who was in Huff, and she said, I remember I called you up, and she said, I explained to you I'm not in your ward. But somebody said, he will help you anyway. And subsequently she said, you did help me, even though I was not in your ward. And she said, that's why I'm supporting you as mayor of the city. But Zach mentioned he ran for mayor in 2017, but lost. I asked him why he's running again and why he believes he can make a difference in the city of Cleveland. Well, I love the city of Cleveland, and I love the people in the city of Cleveland. And this city has been good to me and my family. This gives me an opportunity to give back to the city that I love so much. The mayor of the city of Cleveland is the second most powerful political figure in the entire state of Ohio. And I want to be able to take that power, harness that power, and be able to go to each and every ward in this city and let them know that we're gonna help you, we're gonna assist you, and we're gonna take this city to the next level. I always use the analogy of LeBron James. I truly believe, we talk to LeBron, he would say, every year I knew we are gonna make the playoffs. He made the playoff again this year. Now, but he would always say when he's in Cleveland, we made the playoffs, now it's time to go to the next level. City of Cleveland has been in the playoffs for far too long under the present administration. Now it's time to go to the next level. Now it's time to win the championship. And I know with my experience and my leadership qualities and my vision for the city of Cleveland, I'm the best candidate to take us to that next level and for us to win a championship. I asked Zach how he plans to take Cleveland to the next level. I also asked him to share why it's important for people to be paying attention to what's going on in their communities and why they should be involved. I think it's twofold. First of all, 
a leader in that community, whether the council person and when I'm mayor of the city of Cleveland, I think first of all, you gotta be transparent. And you gotta constantly stay in contact with the people that you represent. And over the years, I've done that. That's why uh, even through my bad times, when I you know, put it out there, people know I had DUIs, people still supported me. Simply because they knew I was an advocate for them. So through the good times or through the bad times, I learned a long time ago, if you advocate for them and you stand with them, they'll stand with you. So I think transparency is very important. Every Saturday, I open my office on Kinsman Avenue. It used to be on 137. So that any resident with or without a, an appointment can come speak to me in my office right on 137th and Kinsman. I'm taking that to City Hall. As mayor of the city of Cleveland, I'm going to open up City Hall every Saturday. So residents in the city of Cleveland, with or without an appointment, can come talk to the mayor of the city of Cleveland. Why is that important? I think it's important simply because if the CEO of Sherman Williams or Cleveland Clinic or University Hospital called up the mayor and said, I'd like to see the mayor, I guarantee you, Chrissy, that they will get their opportunity to see the mayor. I've always questioned why can't Miss Brown that lives on 154th and Kinsman come see the mayor? She's got a problem. She's tried the system. The system has not worked on her behalf. And now she wants to come see the CEO of the city of Cleveland. She should have that right, the same way the CEO Sherman Williams has that right. Why can't Mr. Brown that lives on West 54th, on the west side of the city of Cleveland, why can't they come see the mayor? They've tried the system. System has not worked. Problem still persists. And they want their problem resolved. So I think, first of all, it's got to be transparency for the, the leadership. Second of all, it's important because we don't know all the answers. So when you don't know all the answers and you think you know all the answers, it comes down to a top-down approach. I like the bottom-up approach. And that's why you've got to get involved. Because since we don't know all the answers, then it becomes a partnership. You know the transparency that I have, you're able to talk to me. Hopefully with the transparency that you have, I'm able to talk to you. And I, and I take it to what John F. Kennedy said. John F. Kennedy said, these are man-made problems, therefore man can solve them. So these aren't problems that are outlandish and things that can't be solved, they can be solved, but the only way you're gonna be able to solve them, we gotta all get around the table. I think our mission and our quest is the same. We wanna see the city of Cleveland move forward. We wanna see opportunities for all. We wanna see better neighborhoods. We wanna see stronger neighborhoods. We wanna see safer neighborhoods. The only way that's gonna be obtained is if we all work together in a partnership to get that done. And with my leadership and my experience, I guarantee you I'm gonna get done when I'm here in the city. I wanted to hear what Zach's perspective was at the time of Jamila, Jasmine, Christine, and Ashley's murders. I also wanted to know why he thought there was still no justice or forward movement in these cases. Well, let me first of all tell you why I really got involved and I was passionate about that we had to do something about the murders on that street. I unfortunately was a council person when Anthony Sowell was doing what he was doing in the Mount Pleasant community. The Anthony Sowell case broke out in 2009. That was three years before Damila Hassan was found murdered. It was a story that stunned not only our city, but our state. It attracted nationwide attention. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but it was horrific. He was a serial killer and rapist that took the lives of 11 victims that we know of. He spent his lifetime tormenting many others, including family members. 
The Anthony Sowell case changed our city. It was a dark time. And I remember vividly when they went into the house and they found those ladies' bodies, not only in the house, but out in the backyard and the whole lights. And I got a call from my executive assistant that said, she was in Atlanta, because you know that was gonna be a nationwide story that somebody was killing women and put them in the backyard and put them in the house. And she called me and said, Zach, I remember a lady calling from across the street saying, there's a foul smell in the community and councilman is something that smells like a dead body. So I immediately called the health department, got the health department involved. Health department came out there and did whatever the health department was going to do. They checked the sewers, they checked around, but that was it. It pretty much blew us off. And then we found out what was happening with the Anthony Sowell situation. So when I first started seeing these bodies started, I mean, we, we don't really talk about it. And I wish I would went back and done some homework on the, on the lady, the first person who was stabbed to death in her house, right down the street from the police station. Savagely stabbed many times. But then after that one, then you started to see these bodies started to pile up along 93rd. And then you must remember and we don't really talk about this one, there was another young lady that was on 116th Street that pretty much got away. And the situation was about the same. These were young ladies, like Jasmine, who was leaving their house early in the morning, going to work, going to wherever they were going, and this one person on 116th Street got away. So you started in your mind, and my mind was like, this sounds like an so long to me. And the hurt, the pain, those families that had to go through someone being missing and then finding out that they were found dead, I didn't want to have to go through that again, and I didn't want those families to have to go through it again. If we could stop it early on, let's stop it early on. So that's when I just started to say, this reminds me of the Anthony Sowell situation. I'm not a police officer, not an investigator under any circumstance, but my gut instinct is telling me that these things are starting to line up like an Anthony Sowell. I may be wrong and I want to be wrong, but I'm not wrong in the sense that the bodies are being taken to 93rd, they're being dumped at 93rd, and it's all on one court. And I think, like you said, key is no one's ever been brought to justice for any of the murders. We still don't know the person who went after the young lady on 116th Street. It's all in that geographical area. And like I said, my whole thing was, I lived through the Sowell situation. You just don't want to know that you can go back, and we went back and saw, found the lady who called her office, sat on her front porch, and had a conversation with her. We blamed Ray's Sausage, which is a sausage factor, right next door to Sowell's house. And that was the situation. We took them through hell, made them make renovations, did all these things to them because we didn't do our job. We didn't do what we should have been doing from the beginning. When those ladies were found missing, and we just blew it off. But that was somebody's daughter. You know, it might have been someone's mom, somebody's aunt. So that's the reason that I put the same energy into ensuring that on 93rd, whether I knew any of those women, and I didn't know one of those women, but I knew 
from the pain and the agony and the suffering from those families at the Solwell situation that they were feeling the same thing along 93rd. And if I could do anything as a council person, I wanted to help them relieve the pain. I shared with Zach a little bit about my conversation with Tom Hargrove and asked him to share what specific steps the people of Cleveland can take towards creating safer neighborhoods and what specific steps he plans to take should he become the next mayor. Well, I think the first thing that's got to happen is you got to bring trust back into the system. In these neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods of color, they don't trust the police. So if they don't trust the police, they're not going to be, they don't feel as if we have a partnership. It goes back to what I was talking to you earlier about when we talked about the transparency between the mayor's office and the citizens that you represent. There has to be trust. And when you don't trust the police, then you're not going to help the police when those criminal activities are happening in your community. And that's why I've led this campaign, the last campaign and this campaign, in the fact that you've got to reform the police. You've got to reform public safety in the city of Cleveland because you've got to build trust back into that system. So therefore, the first thing that's got to happen is you've got to elect a new mayor, which I'm hoping to be that new mayor. Second of all, you've got to change the police chief. I mean, you cannot continue to have a police chief at the top of the, the, the total pole that is basically resigning to the fact that every year we're going to have 100 homicides in the city of Cleveland. You know, we're going on our 10th consecutive year, mm-hmm. 100 homicides in the city of Cleveland. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And they talk about it just being COVID. This problem was a problem in the city of Cleveland before COVID. The FBI has deemed the city of Cleveland the fifth most dangerous city in the entire nation. That is unacceptable. So the first thing you got to do is you got to put community policing back into the system. Not just talk about it. You got to give the police officers the resources that they need to be able to go back out to that community, build that trust between the citizens that they're supposed to protect and serve, and you got to give them the resources to be able to do their job. They don't have it right now. Secondly, you got to have a mindset that we're not going to be able to police our way out of this problem. So therefore, what you got to do is you got to put other elements into the, in, into the system itself. First of all, I've said, police don't need to go to every call in the city. But we do. We send them to every call. If it's mental health, we send the police. If it's homelessness, we send the police. If it's someone walking down the street that we don't know and trust, we send the police. To me, we got to stop that because police have to do a policing job, but we're asking them to do all the jobs. So that's first. So you got to put community policing back into the system. Secondly, you got to give them the resources and the manpower to do their job. I mean, the fact that we know, and this goes back to the solar situation again, you know, it's like a bank run. I tell people, I use the analogy all the time. John Dillinger kept robbing banks until John Dillinger got caught. Killers keep killing until they get caught. Solwell was going to keep doing what Solwell was going to do until he got caught. How does he get caught? He gets caught by people in the community. How did he get caught? The people in the community who suddenly went to that house and said, there's a situation here, and then they called the police, and the police finally went back out there Probably could have done it the first time, but they at least did their job and went. But it was people in the community that 
saw what was happening. They went to the police and the police came and did their job. People of the community. Did you hear that? It took the people of the community paying attention and holding those in authority accountable in order for action to be taken. If you know something about the crimes of Jamila, Jasmine, Christine, or Ashley, it's time to come forward. I know that there are people that have information. I know that there are people that know what happened. I know there are people that can help the detectives make progress on these cases. Please, on behalf of their families and their loved ones, it's time to come forward. But it was people in the community that saw what was happening. They went to the police and the police came and did their job. When that happens, you've got to have the manpower. It is unacceptable that the city council approves the budget for the safety force, which, as you know, the vast majority of money goes into public safety. And you say that you're going to hire X amount of police officers and you're going to hire X amount of homicide detectives and you never meet that level. That's unacceptable. So therefore, if you don't have the detectives and you don't have the trust with the people in the community working in a partnership, these criminals are going to continue to do what criminals do because that's what they do. I remember one time my friend said, liars lie. That's why you call them liars. Criminals call criminals. That's why they call criminals. So you've got to give them the resources, the manpower, the technology, but you also, going back again, you've got to have community policing and you've got to have trust in that police department. And right now, that trust level is not where it needs to be. And I'm telling you, that's going to be the number one issue that I'm going to be working on besides public safety. I tell people, public health, public safety are the two main priorities when I'm mayor of the city of Cleveland. If people don't feel safe and people aren't healthy in your community, you're not going to be able to go forward. Zach mentioned the importance of addressing public health, and I wanted to dig into that a little bit. There are a lot of complex layers to the challenges we're facing here in Cleveland. Every layer is important, yes, but one that I think is critical to address right now is mental health. It plays such a big part in the poverty, homelessness, and rising criminal activity that we've been facing. If we're not willing to address that complex layer, we're not going to ever make progress. I asked Zach what his action steps for addressing public health look like. It looks like that we've got some good organizations in the city of Cleveland that we should bring to the table to say to them, okay, what do you mean? You know, I've talked to you about the fact that we were able to go from one of the worst housing authorities in the nation in San Francisco to one of the most improved. How did we achieve that in one year? We achieved it by listening to the people in public housing. Remember my boss said to me, he said, I could have, it was a daunting task. I was like, you go out here, see all these units, they really are deteriorating, they are falling apart, people are lost, hopelessness. How are we going to get this done? He said, we're going to do it the same way you did everything, one bite at a time. And he said, we're going to listen to the people in those communities. Why are we going to listen to the people in the communities? Because he said, we come here from 9 to 5. They live here seven days a week, 24 hours a day. They know their problems. They know the solutions that they need. It's not for us to question them. 
is for us to give them the resources to be able to work in a partnership with us so we can improve public housing. What we have not done in this city, and what I'm going to do as mayor of the city of Cleveland, is we're going to bring these individuals to the table. And they're going to tell us what do they need. Like you got the Adams Board out there. you got other organizations out there that work with mental health people all the time. you got social service organizations out there that are working out in these communities all the time. They don't have the money and the resources to be able to help us, and we haven't asked them to help us at the magnitude that we need. And I'm saying as mayor of the city of Cleveland, we're going to shift some of those resources. We're not going to defund the police. I think that is a that is the craziest saying that we've had in the game of politics in a long time. What we're going to do is use the resources in the city of Cleveland that are already existing. And we're going to use those resources to help the people in these communities to go to the next level. When we were in San Francisco, my boss, Mayor Willie Brown, said to me, Money is never the problem. It is the will for people to do the right thing. We have the money in this city. We've got the resources in this city. Question is, do we have the will to do these things? I'm telling you, under my administration, we not only are going to utilize the money, but we have the will to do these things. So yes, my job will be to bring these people around the table and talk about how do we get these things done. We talk about one of the organizations that I know that we fund, but we don't support them. We don't give them the resources that I think they need. We don't take them to the next level that we have. It's called the interrupters. These are formerly incarcerated men and women who go back into these communities and they persuade these young men and persuade these young women in these communities that you need to put that gun down. I've gone to jail. It's not gonna be any good for you. You're gonna go to jail because you're going to get caught. Once you get caught, you're going to be convicted. You're going to go to jail. You're going to get a felony record on you. When you come out, because you're going to come out, and never stay there forever, you're going to come out, and it's going to be hard for you to get a job. It's going to be hard for you to get housing. It's going to be hard for you to be able to take care of you and your family, and then you're going to find yourself in the same position of, do I do this right thing, or do I do this wrong thing, knowing that the wrong thing can put me back in jail? So I'm telling these violent interrupters, these formerly incarcerated men and women, we're gonna give them the resources to go back out into these wards, back out into these communities, back out to these neighborhoods, because I know it worked. I've traveled around the country and I've seen it work. I saw it firsthand on the front page of the New York Times, where they literally took the largest housing authority in the entire nation, and they won an entire year with not only no one being Kill, no one got shot by utilizing the approach and utilizing the community policing approach and using, utilizing the violent interrupters in those communities. I'm saying to you, Chrissy, we do that here in the city of Cleveland. You will see a dramatic reduction of violence in this city, and you will see those wars, those disadvantaged wars, those wars that we have not invested in, you will see those wars grow and prosper like we've seen other wars grow and prosper in the city of Cleveland. I'll never forget what Mayor White said to me. I mean, the one year that I had the chance when he was going out as mayor of the city of Cleveland and I was coming in as a freshman councilman, I went into his office and he said, Councilman, you know why I can go to any ward, any community in this city? 
even though those council people can't stand my guts? And I said, no, Mayor, why? He says, because I've got something going on in every ward, every community in this neighborhood, in this city. We can't say that, Christian. We cannot say that today. With all the millions upon millions of dollars, billions of dollars that we have spent in this city over the last decade, we cannot say that every ward, every community, and every neighborhood is prospering and is flourishing. And that's where it comes back to what you said. Then you set up this approach that it's us against them. That's why individuals believe that I might as well go to this neighborhood to do carjacking because that neighborhood's better than my neighborhood. They got things in their neighborhood, so they must be richer than me. They must be better off than me. So I'm gonna leave my neighborhood and go to their neighborhood. But what does that do? That just brings down that other neighborhood. What does it also do? You're gonna get caught. I wanna stop that. I wanna see every war, every community, every neighborhood prosper because we're one city. I know we can get this done. I was a councilman for 17 years, and I know when I first became a councilman and I went to Mayor Michael White and said, hey, if I'm going to change the face of Mount Pleasant, i got to change Kinsman Road. Mm-hmm. And we, and, and that's when we went out and we not only reconstructed Kinsman Road, but we made it, we put it down in cement. That's the reason from 93rd and Kinsman to 154th it is in cement. But he trusted me. And that's what I'm saying, going back to what you said. He didn't question me. I remember he brought his public service director in and said, hey, if he believes that changing that road's gonna change Mount Pleasant, it's our job to get him the resources. So at that time, Kendall Road was the most expensive road project in the history of the city of Cleveland until the Euclid Corridor came about. What did that do, Chrissy? We put in a new road for $11 million. We got a brand new school, A.J. Rickoff, third school built in the city of Cleveland. We got a brand new office building, the county building on 139. We put a brand new senior high rise on 138th and Union. By Mayor White trusting that a councilman knew his ward, and if you gave me the resources to fix this road, then other things would happen. That's where it comes down to. We can do this. Same thing when I tell you about San Francisco Housing Authority. I use it because no one thought that we could change it. We did it. It comes down to having a vision and trusting people. That's where my experience comes in. That's where my longevity comes in. And that's where my vision comes in to be the next mayor of the city of Cleveland. And I would say right off the bat, you know, if you want to just talk to me throughout this campaign, just go to www.zackreed.com. Go to my website, review the website. There's an opportunity to have a good conversation with me on the website. So throughout this campaign, I want to have a conversation with the people in the community. And after the campaign, I want to continue to have that conversation. And once again, I want to thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Zach. And just closing, I'd like to say, you know, it's not just Zach. It's not just you as a listener. It's all of us. So let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. Cleveland, you have an election taking place on November 2nd of this year. You have the opportunity to cast your vote for the next mayor. So make sure you're registered to vote, do your research, and then get out there and vote. Your voice matters. The mayor of a city holds a lot of power over it. Where there is power, 
there is corruption. As the people of that city, it's our responsibility to make sure that power is balanced and allocated properly as we see fit. So why did I spend two episodes sharing data from an expert and insight from a local politician on a true crime investigative podcast? Because I believe it's important information that will help us take strides towards solving these cases, aid in preventing future crime, and bring us together as a community. Knowledge is power, and we have the ability to use that power as citizens to influence the changes in our communities. As Zach said, it takes people of the community to care enough to step forward, use their voices, and set change into motion. I'm going to say it again. If you're listening to this right now, and you know something about the murders of Jamila, Jasmine, Christine, or Ashley, we're asking you to come forward with that information. Even if it's something small, even if you think it doesn't matter, someone knows something, and these beautiful souls deserve justice. If you know something, say something. To be honest with you, totally honest, it's been almost two years been almost two years and that was me going to them because we were getting some strange text messages and emails friends of they seen some stuff from some other people that looked kind of suspicious well at one point in time someone had sent a text message to my daughter saying they was gonna kill her like they killed her they sent that to the oldest twin it was a text between some friends that knew something about what happened. They mentioned her and it was like, said something about her killing and something like that. This is possibly someone that knew her. Exactly. And we copied it off the phone and, and took it up there and sent it, showed it to the police. But after that, we ain't heard nothing else. Nobody has called, nobody has done nothing. And when I do call, they just come talking about We ain't got no new information, and that's all they say. I think some that I was uh, there when they called him, because they called him on the street where I was at, and, like, my mother had talked about that, like, not, you know, me strangers and stuff like that, so I didn't think whoever had killed her was a stranger or somebody that she knew. When we was going through the abandoned houses, trying to look for her, every time we would get closer to where her bodies was discovered, we'll have a random person call our phone number and have us go in a different direction because we put flyers up on the pole. We believe it was him that was tearing the flyers down because what other person would do that? So we believe that he definitely had someone calling us to try to get us away from her because not too long after he came out of jail, the coincidence, she went up missing. And I really feel in my heart that he, it's either he did it or he had someone do it for him.
Forget Them Not is written, produced, and hosted by Christina Irene. Managed and edited by Alexi Cordopasi Media Management. Music by Shimmer and the Europa Protoharmonic Symphony Orchestra. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at ForgetThemNot and Twitter at ForgetThemNot underscore. If you have information or questions about any of these cases, please call and leave us a message at 216-302-7873. If you know something, say something. Special thanks to our guest, 2021 Cleveland mayoral candidate Zach Reed for taking the time to share his experience and vision with us. Best of luck to you, Zach. Thanks for tuning in to Forget Them Not. Episodes drop every Wednesday. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to episodes one, two, and three so you're all caught up. Please make sure you're subscribed to the show on whatever podcast platform you listen on. If you like what you hear, give us a review on Apple Podcasts, share it with a friend, and give us a shout out on social media using hashtag ForgetThemNot. Thanks for the support. 